You're listening to the weekly podcast by Forest Hill Church. Here you'll find a place to grow in your faith, get to know what the Bible's all about, and hear what it looks like to follow Christ. To watch our services live or find the campus nearest you, visit foresthill.org. If you're a parent, search for our new Forest Hill Parenting Podcast and subscribe to get new content tailored just for you. You're listening to the weekly podcast by Forest Hill Church. Here you'll find a place to grow in your faith, get to know what the Bible's all about, and hear what it looks like to follow Christ. To watch our services live or find the campus nearest you, visit foresthill.org. If you're a parent, search for our new Forest Hill Parent Podcast and subscribe to get new content tailored just for you. So 15 years ago, I was happily married. Financially, we were okay. We were involved in the church. And also 15 years ago, my husband left me for another woman. And so I spent a decade trying to recover my worthiness and who I was as a person. And I did it through spending on my credit cards. If you had a need, you know, if I could get it on my credit card, I would meet it. And then you would know, at least you would know that I'm valuable. The feeling I got from spending was fleeting. It was, uh, it would only feel for that day. And the next day it would be gone. So the next day I had to go try to find a new way with my credit card to fill that hole. You know, instead of like seeking the Lord on, hey, you know, should I do this? You know, there was no seeking. There was just, you know, I know know how you're feeling. I know your pain, let me help you. It was hard to even wake up in the morning. It was hard to like get up and function because I knew what was waiting in the mailbox. Nobody knew, honestly, the amount of debt that I had. It was like held hostage in here. So from my perspective, the tithe, is what the Lord prompted me to do. I'd heard this message before, but at this particular evening service, I knew the Lord was calling me to tithe. And financially, there was no way that this was even gonna be possible on paper. I could barely buy my groceries. But starting the tithe pretty much changed the course of where I was headed. Every time I got paid, the first check I would write would be my 10%. I didn't really have the wisdom to even get out of debt until I felt like I started paying that tithe. And the fear, it was like these little links of my chain were just kind of breaking off, but I was no longer afraid to answer the phone. I was actually calling the credit card company and saying, hey, this is what I make, this is what I can pay, what can you do for me? Instead of being in this you know, bondage to them. I can honestly tell you that they all worked great deals out with me. Two years into tithing, um, David, you know, had mentioned Marilyn Maynard's name several times on stage. And I'm like, I've got to meet this lady. You know, I've got to come and talk to her. You know, Marilyn was honest. She was like, you know, there, there's no easy way out of this. You know, you have to pay this back. But she was like, you know, we can do this. We've got this. So I didn't feel so alone in my debt and in my drowning anymore. Financially, I'm almost debt free. I'm generous. I let the Lord use me when prompted, but um, I am wise enough now to know that I will be generous, you know, like with the church, and I'll let the church make the decisions where the money will go versus me trying to continue to save the world. Seeking Jesus is the only way I got through this. 
there's no other way. Every single day, just being able to get up and read the Word, there was a promise in there every day, and I just knew that He was faithful. The Lord has showed me that my value and my identity comes in Him and Him alone. And that's it. Not in my materials, not in other people, not in what other people think of me, truly in Him alone. And this is the most content I've ever been. If you are skeptical about the tithe, it is the only place in the Bible where the Lord calls us to test Him in this area. He is faithful. I've done it. And He did not let me down. Well, many thanks to Andre for sharing her testimony. It, it's a hard situation when you've got lots of debt to think about the tithe and then beyond that. But she did it. And all I know to tell you right now at the beginning of the message, and I'll emphasize it at the end of the message, if you enter a tough financial strait, you want to get out of debt and live debt-free so that you can be generous, call Marilyn Maynard. Her information's at the bottom of your outline. She's had 50-plus people already contact her, and she can't wait to connect them with an army of people who will help you address your debt problem. might not be solved immediately, but it can be solved, and Andrea and many others are examples of how that can happen. So thanks, Andrea, for doing that. We really appreciate your testimony. I um, want to continue this series on generosity. You know, folks, I want to help all of you become generous givers. It's not in our nature, though, is it? Let me ask you a question. Do you have to teach your children to be generous? What is their most favorite word? Mine. They hoard things. They don't want to give it up, and we have to teach them to be generous. You're going to have to learn to be generous as well. It's not in our nature. So I want to give you two truths right now that will help you make generosity more a part of your life. Here's the first one. You don't own anything. Everything you have is owned by God. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything we have is a gift from God. And if you want to be generous, that's where you've got to begin. I want to ask my friend Mike Atkins, uh, who leads worship here at the South Park campus and just does a terrific job right now, to join me on the platform. Would all of you thank God for Mike and his ministry here? You're, you're, you're probably going to thank me until I ask you what I want to ask you. Will, will, will you loan me $5, please? Come on, please. Just, just loan me $5. Would, would you do that for me, please? I, I, I just, oh, man. That, thank you. Give it to that. Thank you so much, Mike. You're, you're just a great oh, friend, you. and I appreciate you so much. Now get off the platform, okay? Thank you so much. Okay. Now that, that's Mike loaning me $5. Now I'd like to invite on the platform as well, the South Park campus, I mean, excuse me, the Uptown campus pastor, Jason Smith. Jason, would you come up here and join me? And again, would you just thank Jason for his work, what he's doing Uptown? That campus is growing, and we planted it there because we wanted a presence in Uptown. And Jason's a former college basketball player, and I really like him to be able to look eye to eye at him. Um, Jason, I just want you to know how much I, I, I love you and appreciate you and care for you. And you know what? I want to give you $5. There it is. No, please take it. I, yeah, please take the $5. It's yours. I appreciate it. Just take it. God bless you. 
Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. It says, go ahead and take it. Yeah, just take it. Get the $5 and go. Thanks again to Jason Smith. Okay, everybody thank Jason. Now, here's the question I want to ask you. That wasn't hard for me at all. I mean, I love giving away that five bucks. Why wasn't it hard for me? It wasn't mine. It wasn't mine. And if you could begin to believe that everything you have is like Mike Adkins loaning me $5, and then I give it away, and it doesn't hurt me, it's not hard to do because it's not mine to begin with, folks. So when you lose money or you get fired from a job, you just step back and you give thanks to God in all things, saying, my identity is not there. It's in my relationship with God, which is the second point. The way to be generous is, first of all, to believe it's not yours. It all comes from God. Secondly, is to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, in case you don't know, there are two orders spiritually in the universe. They collide with one another. Every religion in the world is one order. Christianity is the only one that's not of those orders. Let me try to break it down for you in another way that might help you understand the gospel. All the other religious, spiritual orders in the world believe, first of all, that I believe, and because of that, I obey, and then thirdly, I'm justified, I'm righteous, I'm accepted by God. You get it? Let's go through it again one more time. I believe in God. I obey what he tells me to do. And when I obey, then I'm justified, made righteous. I'm accepted and loved by God. Got it? That's all the other world's religions. I believe. I obey. Therefore, I'm loved and accepted. I'm justified. There's only one that juxtaposes itself against that spiritual order. It's the Christian faith which teaches, I believe, therefore I'm accepted, I'm made righteous, I'm loved by God, then therefore I obey. You got, let me go through it again. That I believe in Jesus and his death on the cross. I know I'm accepted by God and have eternal life. I'm made righteous in him and therefore I obey. Now, the first order, I obey because I have to, to be declared righteous by God in heaven. The second order, though, says I obey in response to having been accepted by God. Folks, it's all the difference in the world. If you're still living in that first spiritual order that I believe, therefore I obey, then I'm accepted by God, you live terribly anxious, don't you? Every day, you wonder what? If I have believed enough and if I have obeyed enough for God to love me, every day you wonder this word that is connected to this first spiritual order, enough. And if bad things happen, you must think, I've not done what? Enough for God to accept and love me. Where? The Christian faith believes, I believe in Jesus. I've been declared righteous by him because of faith through grace, not of my own works, not of the doing, not of the obeying. And then I obey in response to who I am in Christ. Now, if you get this, 
it will change dramatically every area of your life. Every area the gospel of grace touches. For example, your career, your job, what you do all week long. If you should lose it, you don't go, oh, no, I'm not worthy as a person. You say, God somehow's leading me to a different place. My identity is not in my work. It's not in what I do, how I obey. My identity is in my relationship with Jesus. If he took that God away, job away, thank you, God, you took your job away. If you lose money, you don't fall into depression going, I must not have been generous enough or giving enough or whatever. You say, Lord Jesus, you took your money away. My identity isn't found in how much I own, but who owns me? May I say it again? Your identity is not found in what you own, but who owns you? And when you believe that, your career and money and status and possessions and power and all those things are diminished because you don't need those to be loved by God. And it affects your relationships. I'll never forget the girl that I, I counseled with sometimes. She could not get over this reality that she had to be loved by a guy to feel accepted. And she kept giving herself intimately to man after man after man and after each one she'd come in for a counseling session until she really dramatically understood that second world order that she believed in Jesus and found her identity in him and then obeyed out of her life in Christ she said I'm hidden in Christ to use a term in the New Testament that he is my life that in him I live and move and have my being so Here's the deal. Once she understood that, she started dating guys, and here's what she'd say to them. I'm not going to sleep with you because I don't need you to love me for me to feel loved. And we might get married one day, might not, but I'm going to enjoy the relationship. And In fact, I'm going to be able to love you more deeply because I know who really loves me. Are you with me? And so, therefore, the whole understanding of your identity by believing and then receiving acceptance and love by the Father and then obeying because of that changes everything. You know you're loved and accepted by God in heaven through Jesus Christ. There is your identity and your identity alone. And you can now love other people freely. That's from where freedom comes. You can now give generously. Why? Because money doesn't own you. You just simply are a child of God who obeys because of how much he has given to you. Does that make sense? Would all of you praise God for that just for one second? Because once you grab that, your life is never, ever the same. So you believe that, then your heart becomes generous toward the one who's been so generous to you. You learn generosity because of the one who died on the cross to give you eternal life, not by your works, but by grace through faith. And then in response to that, your call to generosity is, first of all, tithing. You know, we, we looked at that over the last week. I, I know it's a tough message for some of you. It was for Andre when she first heard it, heard it. But it's the beginning point for saying, God, you own everything. In fact, in Leviticus 27.30, that verse says the tithe is the Lord's. Now, some of you say, but David, you just said everything belongs to the Lord. Yeah, it does, but that tithe especially. That's especially his. 
And that's why Malachi 3, that Michael Ballard unfolded for us last week in verses 8 through 11, says so much from God, you're robbing me when you don't give me the tithe. Why? Because it belongs to God especially. And when you don't give him that 10%, you're robbing God. And God says, if you'll just give that to me, test me, like Andrea said, test me. Only place in the Bible where God says, test me. He'll open the windows of heaven, do miracles for you like you've never seen before. And I want to challenge all of you this next year, just do the tithe test. Just try it. Whether you make a lot or you make a little, just try it and see. If you make $100, $10. $1,000, $100. The tithe means a tenth. Just try it. Just try it and see if God won't restore to you everything he wants to give to you. And then, of course, Jesus said to do it in Luke eleven forty two. 42. He looked at that verse last week. Jesus commanded his followers to tithe. Matthew 23, 23 is another place you can see it if you want to see it. He commanded his followers to tithe. So if you're not tithing, you're disobeying Jesus. I encourage you to do it. But my guess is if you're not doing it, it's because you don't totally understand. First you believe, then you have that gift of eternal life, acceptance, and salvation. Then you obey out of response to his generosity to you. The second step is free will voluntary offerings. Oh, before I go there, can I just mention one quick thing? I contacted the lady who was here three weeks ago through some people and asked her the question, when people join the church in China, what do they do? Now, this is the most persecuted place in the world, perhaps. When Christians join the church, they ask three things. First of all, you attend worship each week, being part of a community. Secondly, that you read the Bible daily. And thirdly, you tithe. It's proof you really do believe what God has asked you to do. So, so there it is, among the poorest of the poor in the world, they're practicing this holy habit, this spiritual discipline. And, and then after that comes the free will voluntary offerings. That's the 11% and beyond. And Marilyn and I have moved beyond the 10% to 20%. Many of you have as well. And that second 10% or however much thereafter is what you can control. It's whatever you want to give. And one of the greatest biblical examples of that is in Exodus chapter 36, verses 4 through 7. The Jews are building the tabernacle. And Moses goes to them and says, please give, but these are voluntary free will offerings. Not the tithe, voluntary free will offerings. And the people were so moved by their freedom from the Egyptian captivity. And so thankful to God that they were no longer slaves. They started giving and giving and giving, and giving to the point where Moses had to finally say, stop, we don't need any more. I can't even imagine. Because the truth is, if every Christian who's a part of Forest Hills Ministry tithed, we could touch this city in ways you can't believe. But you also have free will offerings that we've had to sometimes do with So That campaigns to build the campuses all around. And when we ask you for those things, they should be done voluntarily with joy because of the grace you've received. And that's the example by the building of the tabernacle that we see in the Bible. But there's a third one yet still, and this one's really getting into the tough stuff. You ready? Oh, tell me you just can't wait to hear this next one, okay? <laughs> there is the tithe, 10%. There are the free will voluntary offerings beginning with the 11%. And the third way of generosity biblically is sacrificial gifts. Sacrificial gifts. The best example of it is found in Luke, the 21st chapter, verses 1 through 4. We've been trying to hang around in Luke for a couple few months right now. Here's a great story. Are you ready for it? 
Mm, two people. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Now, I've told you this repeatedly. Please remember, whenever you're reading the Bible, to take a text out of context is pretext. You always need to look at a text within its context. Here's the context. In Luke 20, Jesus had just been denounced by the religious leaders. They had said to him, we don't believe in you, and they began to make plans to kill him. So he went into the temple right after that, and the text tells us his eyes were downward, probably in sadness, knowing that he had received the final rejection, knowing the cross was soon to come. And as he was looking down, probably caught in the thoughts of rejection, denunciation, for those of you who've ever been rejected, please know Jesus understands everything you're feeling. He knows what it's like to be despised and rejected by other people. And the Bible tells us that he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. He looked up. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus looks up when we give? He knows exactly the amount all of us give. When the ushers on the weekend services walk down the aisles and pass the plates, Jesus is right next to them watching what you put in. That's good news, isn't it? That really made you cackle with delight, didn't it? It's true. He looked up and saw the very wealthy and this poor widow giving. He knows exactly what all of us give. And what's interesting, he's, he made a comparison here between the very wealthy religious leaders, those who had just denounced him probably. And what they would do is go to the 13 boxes that were around the outer court of the temple, and they would take bags of their money, gold and silver, and they would put them in these boxes that had a trumpet kind of shape and since they were gold and silver as they probably poured them in it caused a clang 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 and when you hear that kind of sound everybody in the outer court would what stop and notice some of them even hired trumpeters to blast their trumpets when they gave their money. That's from where we get the phrase, tooting your own horn, by the way. And if you ever went on Jeopardy with that question, 10% to the local church. Thank you very much. <laughs> they drew attention to themselves. The purpose for their gift was to look how great and mighty they were. That's why Jesus said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing when you give. Don't draw attention to yourself. That's a euphemism of that day, which meant don't draw any kind of attention to your giving. It's not about you. It all comes from God anyway. <laughs> so then he watched a poor widow. Again, no husband, on her own, 
and she had two copper coins worth one-sixteenth of a denarius, which is less even than a penny today, made of copper that's purposefully and intentionally brought out here because it was about an eighth of an inch thick, made out of copper, and when you drop it into the box, would it make a sound? No. So she silently, she surreptitiously went and dropped the two copper coins in one of the openings, and I'm sure she didn't think anybody saw her except the Lord of the universe. Jesus saw And, you know, a lot of us would condemn what she did. I mean, come on, lady. You're single. You're poor. Those are your last two pennies. Don't give them up. But Jesus did not condemn her. He commends her. And here's what he says, that she gave with those two copper coins more than all the religious leaders had given together. Why? Because they contribute out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, to live on. You know, in Mark's gospel, Mark says that her example is a memorial for millennia to come, that, that, that her example will be remembered by people for thousands of years in the future. Now, let me read to you a couple of verses that are often talked about when generosity is talked about, because this widow really practiced generosity. One of them is Luke six thirty eight: Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And Paul in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. You just can't deny that in the Bible it teaches that when you learn generosity and you learn to give, and your hand is open in thanksgiving to a generous God, he gives back. He gives back, and he'll continue to give back as long as you have an open hand. But the moment you hoard it and use it for self and not to bless other people, the pipeline will shut off. Give, and it will be given unto you. Words from Jesus. And then Paul said, if you just sow two or three seeds in the field, how much crop can you expect in return? A small one, right? But if you sow hundreds of seeds into the field... You can expect a large crop in return. And in 2 Corinthians 9, by the way, what Paul's talking about there is a gift from the Corinthian church to help the starving poor in Jerusalem. If you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow abundantly, you'll reap abundantly. Now, now let me talk about one thing real quickly here. It's something called the prosperity gospel. It's so poorly named because it's not the gospel. It's not that second beautiful image of we believe then we know we're loved by grace by God and then we obey accordingly the prosperity gospel believes if you just give God has to return in abundance to you and if you just have enough faith he'll do that but you see the problem with it the problem is faith becomes a work faith becomes a work 
So if the blessing doesn't come when you want it or as large as you want or maybe in a different way than God gives it, you start saying, I must have somehow not had enough faith, and it destroys your soul. It shrivels your insides. Because, again, you believe, I just didn't have enough faith, and you live anxiously and under oppression because then you really believe, I believe, and I've got to obey with enough faith to receive the acceptance and blessing of God. But Jesus says, man, once you understand how much the generous God loves you and you're accepted in him, you want to give. It's a joy to give. And somehow, some way, it opens the windows of heaven and you can receive back from God. Now, here's the question that some people ask at this point. This is the reason I share those verses with you. Did the widow receive blessings in return? Now, she may have. We don't really know. But let me tell you this. If Mark is right that her example has generated by memory millions upon millions upon millions of dollars for years in the future, which it has. Her example, folks, has motivated people through the centuries to be generous. When she got to heaven, do you think Luke 6.38 worked for her? Given it shall be given to you, do you think... 2 Corinthians 9, 6 worked for her. She sowed abundantly, and she's reaped abundantly, and I have every reason to believe her reward in heaven is great. Now, and for you folks living for more and more possessions here, first of all, don't you realize you're not going to take them with you? Don't you realize everything in this world is one day going to burn? Don't you take seriously Jesus' teaching? Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths will eat them away, thieves will steal them, rust will erode them. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, are you laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven? May I take one minute and do a brief infomercial? I promise. This is my most recent book. It is my heart. I've had so many of you say to me, David, would you mentor me? And I try to do what I can, but I can't everybody. Folks, if you want to be mentored by me, this is me. This is what I believe. It's my heartbeat for what I think it means to follow Jesus. Now, it's out in the foyer of every campus. Christmas Eve lands on a Sunday this year. It really complicates the Christmas Eve offering. We've promised to give $375,000 to China's ministry in the Silk Road trying to reach hundreds of thousands of people who don't know Jesus. Every penny that you donate in purchasing or just making a donation to this book, and if you can't afford it, just take it. I just want you to have the info. But every penny will go to help build those churches in China. And I have every belief in my heart that with the $100,000 I gave away through my books recently, that I'm going to meet Indians from India and Chinese who've come to faith in Jesus because I laid up treasures in heaven. They're going to be there to greet me. Luke 16, Jesus said that in a parable. Make friends for God with unrighteous mammon so that when you get to heaven, they'll be there to greet you. Will anybody from any other nation in the world be there to greet you? Well, if you just make a donation to this, you'll have some Chinese. Every penny, folks, I'm not profiting a penny. That's why I can make this infomercial with some sense of joy. Okay. So the widow's might is such a powerful illustration because here's what Jesus is saying to all of us. 
the amount doesn't count. Oh boy. The amount doesn't count. Now, the, the tithe, the 10% belongs to the Lord, but the 90% we were responsible for. And some of you out there are sitting on millions of dollars. And you might give a generous gift of a lot of money, but if it doesn't impact your life, is it a sacrificial gift? I remember when we did the So That campaign to build the Uptown Campus and other ones, we had widows bringing diamond rings. I was so touched by that. We had people giving property in mountains that they wanted to build their mountain home on, but they gave it up because they said, you know what, we can sacrifice this for the kingdom. The amount doesn't count. It's called the principle of proportionality. The real question, I'm sorry, I know none of you are going to like me after this, but my identity is in Christ, not in you, okay? <laughs> in the principle of proportionality, really the question is how much do you have left? And for those of you who are really well off, that's a question you need to wrestle with. Okay, now let me move on. What paralyzes generosity in the American culture? Here it is. Debt. Debt. We have the assumption of consumption, don't we? That my identity is in what I consume. So we keep buying more and more, like Andrea shared with her testimony. She was addicted to shopping. So she accumulated huge debt on her credit cards. The assumption of consumption. And some of you, if you knew 20 years ago what you'd be making now, you'd be blown away. You'd say, I wouldn't have any debt. But you do. Why? Because you bought the lie that you need more. And you need to get rid of that assumption of consumption in your lives and, and get rid of that credit card debt and so that when opportunities to give and advance the kingdom of God come to you, you don't to first have to go to the God of debt and ask for permission to give. You can go right to the Lord God of hosts and give as he prompts your heart to give. Now, let me say it again. If you don't have <laughs> your money under control, God's money he's loaned you, Please contact Marilyn Maynard. Her information's at the bottom of your outline. We have trained over a thousand people in sound biblical principles over the years. We'd love to train a thousand more. It will set you free. First of all, in your heart, that your identity is not found in what you own or how much you have. Your identity is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. And she'll help you get out of that debt, and she'll help you live freely as God prompts your heart to live. So please contact her. I talked to her this week. Again, over 50 people have called her. I said, Marilyn, is this getting too much for you? She said, bring it on so people can learn how to give it up for the glory of God. And some of you are squirming in your seats right now saying, when is this thing going to end? In about five minutes, I'm going to keep on going though, okay? I got just one more thing I want to share with you. Proverbs 22 7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave to the lender. Aren't you tired of being a slave to the God of debt? Aren't you tired of it? Let me do this also. I want to share with you Forest Hills Finance. All of you were given this when you walked in. This was put together by our staff as a desire to be completely vulnerable, transparent to you, to where 
you give us God's money, he's loaned to you, okay? So I want to run through this very, very quickly. Now you can pick it up. You weren't looking at it during my message, were you? I didn't think so. And let me run through this very, very quickly. Our, our desire is in two years, page one here, to give 20% of our annual budget away. We want to double tithe. Uh, we have a $21 million budget. We'll be up front with you with all of our campuses. We give away over $4 million a year. Do you know why we can do that? Because we practice what I just told you I want you to do. We have no debt in the life and ministry of Forest Hill. None whatsoever. Zero, nada, zilch. And that allows us to give money to missions and not mortgage. So that, and our goal is to increase that to 20%. It's 18% this year, 19%, 19, 20%, and 20. That's going to happen. We're committed to it. Now, the next page, you see how... It's broken down where we spend your money that God's loaned you, that you give to us. Again, notice the outreach, that's 18%. These different areas all have staff inside. Some people don't want money to go to staff. All I can tell you is if you knew how many people's lives they touch with counseling, with encouragement, you wouldn't ever ask that question. But here you see the different percentage breakdowns. What drives us is a local and global vision. We want to take care of what happens locally and globally. So on pages 5 through 16 in this, you'll see all the local ministries. All the campuses have different local ministries they care for. Okay, so that's pages 5 through 16 broken down with some marvelous stories of Forest Hill people doing ministry. That's my goal, ultimately, to unleash thousands upon thousands of people in all the different places around the world and bring, uh, and locally, and bring shalom, the peace of God, the fullness of God, the blessing of God to people all around us. Then in verse, uh, pages 17 through 27, you have our global impact, which includes each campus has its own global partner in the Caribbean, but also at the end of that, you'll see our Unreached Peoples Group Partners, which all of the campuses give to one uh, ministry that we try to reach people around the world. China's there, India's there, Lebanon's there, Central Africa's there, places all around the world that we're trying to reach for the Lord. And then I want you to know that we have a strict accountability process. So let me ask if we could see the video now. What's coming up is a video from Deidre Foster. She is one of our elders, uh, spiritual leaders in the church. She is the chair of the Finance and Risk Management Committee. I'd love for you to see what she will tell you about how we're overseen by other outside entities to make sure we're transparent and use God's money above reproach. Please watch this. Hi, my name is Deidre Foster, and I'm on the Council of Elders at Forest Hill. And I also have the privilege of being the chairperson of the Finance and Risk Management Committee. Each year, we go through an incredibly thorough budget process at Forest Hill. The whole process takes about four months. Each of the church discipline heads meets in front of the Finance and Risk Management Committee and presents their budget for the year to come. Uh, at the end of the process, an entire budget is presented and approved by the Finance Committee and ultimately the Council of Elders. And it's, it's also incredibly important to note that Forest Hill doesn't have any debt. So by not carrying any debt, we don't have to have a line item in our budget for debt management or interest expense. For 2018, we're going to be giving away 18% of our budget to, the, to our outreach and charities. And we have um, governance around that 
uh, which looks like three filters. And there's a lot of layers within the filters, but at a high level, it consists of, first of all, we want to make sure that the partner shares the same type of vision for spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second filter that we look at is the effectiveness of the partner and their sustainability. And then finally, we take a look at what's the highest and best use of our funds. Each year, for the past 30 years, Forest Hill has subjected itself to an external audit. And th this is just a process that we choose to go through that increases our accountability and really creates a lot of transparency. I just can't stress enough the amount of dedication and just accountability each of our church leaders and our lay leaders and staff feel around stewardship. We always wanna be doing the right things with Forest Hills money, which is God's money. Would you thank God for that? Hopefully you do. We have no debt, double tithe, and Deidre, <laughs> and a council of elders. They're my boss, and I'm subject to them, gladly, because I want that accountability for the glory of God. So, folks, finally, live to give. Don't give to live. That's the first spiritual order. Live to give. It's the most wonderful thing you can possibly imagine. I promise you, take the tithe test. See if it doesn't work. I promise you, God loves you more than you can ever know. And if you'll believe that you've been accepted and are made righteous in him, then you obey. Not because you have to, but because you, you want to for the glory of God.